Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. For anybody that might be new and they might be listening in, uh, I started Building Fortunes Radio back in 2012, beginning part of 2013, when we were looking to do something with home-based businesses. And I knew that I wanted to be able to kind of have a microphone, build a platform for people to have conversations that many times they weren't having relative to building home-based businesses that I think were important to building home-based businesses. So that's how we got started with Building Fortunes Radio. I wanted a microphone that I can kind of control myself. So having said that, um, we've been doing a lot of radio shows. I did a radio show uh, eight years ago, seven years ago, with Roger Van Vlissingen and E. Robert Smith. Um, they, um, Roger writes um, for SeekingAlpha.com, which is a website that talks about publicly traded companies, and he was talking about Herbalife. And at that time, he also was referencing Vima, although Vima was not a publicly traded company and still is not. But he mentioned some things about MLM, which were very critical but well-spoken, which is refreshing because most of the times when you hear people criticize MLM, um, they're the YouTubers who have no idea what they're talking about, they're kind of embarrassing themselves as their lips are moving, and we'll talk about that maybe as we get started during this radio show. But uh, Roger was a really smart gentleman, and I called him up and I asked him to be on a radio show, and one thing led to another. We did a couple of radio shows with Roger Van Vlissingen and E. Robert Smith, and they actually invited Robert Fitzpatrick on the radio show so you can hear him as well. But shortly after one of the first radio shows that I did, Scott Johnson called me up, and said, hey, listen, I heard that radio show, but there's something that people are missing when it comes to MLM. And I said, what's that, Scott? And he said, the tools scam. Now, for all of the people that might be new, and if you've never heard of the MLM tool scam, um, it was something that I was kind of exposed to. At least it was a system scam that I would have probably called it way back then, because when I joined Amway, and I joined Amway three separate times. When the first time I joined Amway, I found that there was little focus on selling the product, but lots of focus on the books, tapes, and functions, which they called the system. And the systems are sacred would be the way it would go. And it had to be 100% loyal to the product, otherwise you were disloyal to the product. So the reality was it was a little bit like a cult, but I was okay with that because I was used to building direct sales teams and businesses. And in direct sales, you kind of get whatever company that you're in on the brain, meaning like you really get into it. It's, it is kind of like a cult. And if you're building it the right way and making big money, probably going to be like that. So that part wasn't so bad. But when I asked Scott, you know, what is the tool scam? He said, well, like with Amway, they're making a lot of money on the books and the tapes and the functions and the other things that they do, but they're really not disclosing. That's where they're making most of their money. So the, how would I say, the bait and switch, let's call it, is the idea that everybody else in the audience thinks they're going to be able to get what the people on stage and with the big microphones are going to get, but they never will because they're not part of the books and the tapes and functions, which Scott 
calls a tool scam. So I said, hey, Scott, let's do some radio shows, and we did. So we've been here. Scott Johnson runs one of the longest-running radio shows. This is actually his show segment. We do this every Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 on the central side. And sometimes we have guests, and today we have one, a repeating guest that we've had already one time. And I'll let Scott do the introduction, so I'll keep my introduction relatively brief. But um, we're in the Christmas month, so for those people, happy holidays. Some of you might be Jewish, and you're celebrating like Hanukkah and things along that line, so happy Hanukkah. And many of you probably are either getting Christmas trees, putting up Christmas trees, doing something with Christmas trees. I'm a big Christmas tree guy, so we've already got ours up. We're going to decorate it some other time. So happy holidays for all those people listening in. And Scott Johnson, thanks for being here on your own radio show. Hey, Peter, thanks for having me. And uh, one slight adjustment to what you said. You said the people watching the people on stage will never get there, and that's true for almost all of them. But a couple of them somehow manage to get through there, and they get to the level, you know, of emerald and diamond and above, and they do make all that money from the tools. And they're sort of the examples that are shown to the audience, like, hey, this person started – and then they work their way up to diamond or emerald or double diamond or whatever. And that's sort of what keeps the hope alive, right? When you, when you have an occasional person that somehow makes it through, um, and we don't know if it's legitimate or not as far as putting people in their different legs and all of that kind of thing, that's, that's kind of hush-hush. Um, but, you know, when I joined in 1993, um, Amway was really growing rapidly. Every single meeting we went to, there was different people, what they call crossing stage, which means there's people achieving new pin levels. And every time we went to a major function, there was a bunch of new diamonds and above. And it was really a dynamic time in the Amway business. And it was very easy to instill that belief in people that it works. Um, uh, but there's a couple problems. And you mentioned the tool scam. And, and that's where the upper level uh, distributors, they call them IBOs now, independent business owners. Um, they make most of their money from the meetings, the books, uh, the recordings, the phone apps, the voicemail, the website access, et cetera, et cetera, all these things. And I don't have a problem with people making money. It's just that if you're making it, you ought to talk about it. And, and they don't. Like you said, they don't mention that they make most of their money from the tools. In fact, they don't mention that they make any money from the tools until they get out. When they get kicked out, then some of them start squawking a little bit. And, um, and so I've collected those people that have spoken up that after they got kicked out, they started talking about how much money they made because if, if it was 10 or 20% of what they made at Amway, to me it would be a non-issue, but it's not. It's, it's twice as much. It's four to five times as much. It's 10 times or more in some cases, and so it's a lot. Um, even if it's only twice as much, that's two-thirds of your income, right? So it's, it's significant. Um, and it goes up from there, of course, as you start to make even more money from the tools compared to Amway. So it is a big deal. Um, it's something that the FTC, for some unknown reason to me, has not um, focused on. Uh, the only thing they did, I think it was about – uh, three years ago, one of their former FTC commissioners um, made a comment saying, hey, we're not just going to focus on the gross profit that's being made and what's usually in the income disclosure statements, by the way. Um, we're also going to look at the 
the money that it costs to make that much money. You know, in other words, the overhead costs. If, if you have any kind of business lingo understanding, um, you know, your gross profit minus the overhead costs equals the net profit. And in Amway, almost everybody is negative when it comes to net profit. And in, in other words, they're losing money. Um, and, and that's very well established. Um, now, MLMs that don't have tool scams, I don't think have as high of a percentage of people losing money, but there's not real good documentation, so it's really hard to tell. Um, but anyway, that's the tool scam. Um, it's not the making of the money. It's lying by omission, you know, not mentioning it essentially, and giving every impression that their success, their financial success came from Amway uh, and not the tools. Um, and, and so it's a lie of omission, um, which we've been talking about for years and years and years. I know there's some anti-MLM huns out there saying I copied them, but it's actually the other way around. Um, so that's problem number one, and because not all MLMs have tool scams. Um, the, the problem number two, which I think is either universal or nearly universal, I, I'm still, the jury's still out for me on the insurance MLMs, um, but that's the retail sales. And, and when we say retail sales, what we're talking about there are people buying the products or services that are not part of the MLM compensation plan. That's called a customer. Um, if you're a distributor, you're not a customer. You're a distributor. And so anything that you buy is considered internal consumption. Retail sales are considered external consumption. And you have to have retail sales in order to have a legitimate MLM. If you don't, you're an illegal pyramid. And so that's um, what I see is very common in MLMs is, is there's little to no retail sales. Usually it's because the products are so overpriced. You know, the distributors might be willing to buy them because they're being told, you know, my one-line description of MLMs is if you work hard enough and long enough, you'll get filthy rich. Well, that's not part of the game for a customer. And so when a customer looks at an overpriced product, they go, no, thank you, in most cases. And, and so that's what leads that MLM with that scenario to be an illegal pyramid. Um, and so those are the two biggies, right? Tool scams, which I consider RICO fraud or at least business fraud, and then lack of retail sales, uh, which is an illegal pyramid. So that's where I come down on, you know, what's wrong with MLM. And I, I actually, and I've said this before in the show, I think it's a brilliant business model. It's just not being executed properly. Um, and, and the FTC needs to um, do kind of the opposite of what they did with Neora. In other words, become competent um, because they showed their incompetence in spades in the Neora lawsuit. Um, and, and we'll talk about that again sometime in the future. We, I think we had two shows on that. I think it was a 53-page ruling, Peter, um, back in September. The judge just excoriated um, the, the FTC lawyers. And we covered, I think, 10 pages on one show and another 11 pages on the, on the next show. So we got, you know, 30-something pages to go. Um, it, but it was just a total disaster. I mean, it, it was it was almost like the FTC was trying to lose. That it, it, It's either that or they're just totally incompetent. Um, because they were interpreting retail sales as the label that Neora put on retail sales, which in Neora means 
the customer paid full price, but they had preferred customers that were still customers and they were still retail sales, but they weren't paying the full price. And, and we were flummoxed for, I think, two, three years while this lawsuit was going on because the FTC was claiming 1% retail sales and the order was claiming anywhere from 60 to 80%. And we knew that both couldn't be true, but we didn't know why there was such a wide difference. And the FTC, um, when the decision finally came out, exposed their incompetence. So anyway, that's the two big things. We do want to get back to our guest. We had him here two weeks ago. We were going to have him back last week, but um, he had a company Christmas party, and I'm certainly in favor of uh, company Christmas parties. So um, we're going to have him back here tonight and talk about some more stuff. And uh, David, welcome back. And and if you want to just take a minute or two, David, and, uh, you know, refresh people with, uh, you know, who you are and and, you know, your involvement in MLMs and, and that kind of thing, just to give them a, a reference point. Maybe they didn't listen to the show two weeks ago. Um, but welcome to the show and go right ahead. More or less just a uh... – hey, am I, am I online? You just came on. Go right ahead. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. The call dropped. Hey, so my name's David. I, uh, you guys could call me a certified goon, but I uh, am more or less an MLM critic. Uh, I've never actually been in an MLM, but as part of what I was talking about last time I was on the show, I have been attempted to be recruited into multiple MLMs, including Amway, several times. Uh, one of those times, uh, I made it to the third meeting where uh, the first meeting I talked with a gentleman and was given a book that I was told to read, which in turn was an Amway tool book. Uh, I read it overnight, didn't really teach me anything, and met with the gentleman again the next day to have my second meeting, chatted with him some more. And then it was a few days after that that I uh, had my third meeting, which ended up just being a video from a from a diamond uh, explaining the business, which in turn, when I found out it was Amway, I had declined. So, But with that, I also, a few years back, was uh, approached by someone to join WFG, which I, again, went through several meetings, uh, a few focused on the product, a few focused on the, quote, opportunity. That led me to read Ponzinomics by Robert Fitzpatrick and uh, discovered Marco on YouTube, which in turn helped me to discover Scott and Peter, and uh, here we are. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so um, I know I know a couple of videos ago, uh, that, that Marco did, um, you made a comment along the lines of, um, well, I don't, I don't think Scott and Peter know that I'm totally anti-MLM. So I don't know if we affected you two weeks ago when you were on the show. I mean, would you still put yourself in that category that you're just totally anti-MLM? Uh, well, so, and I think, and I think that's an important uh, thing that, that we, uh, we kind of cliffhangered it at the end of our last episode and I think is a great place to dive into first. So I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, when we think MLM, I mean, we naturally think, oh, it's direct sales. But there's a clear difference between true direct selling versus network marketing, multi-level marketing, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and that was kind of where we ended on our last episode. We, you know, we had talked about everything that we had talked about, and I had said to you, Scott, that, you know, regardless if we can agree or disagree on the 99.7, 99.7% loss rate 
or whatever the number you think it is, it's it's clearly high. You know, I think even Peter would be willing to agree that it's at least over like 70% or something. Um, if the loss rate is that high in MLM, that maybe we should just get rid of multi-level marketing in the first place, which you responded, Scott, saying, if it was up to you, that's what you would do. So, um, but yeah, like just now during your opening statement, you had made the statement that you think it's a good business model when it works. So when you said that, do you mean that, like the direct selling business model works. So I guess let, let's iron that out first and then we can dig in deep uh, in there. Yeah, in fact, I was gonna ask you, what's your understanding of the difference between direct selling and MLM? The general gist that I get is multi-level marketing, That's it's in the name, multi-level marketing. So you would be selling, hopefully be selling product. In a legit MLM, I'm selling product, I recruit someone else who also is selling product but because I recruited them, I'm going to get a portion of their sales. And if they recruit someone, I can also possibly get a portion of their sales as well, depending on how it's structured and how many layers down I can get paid and how many branches out I can go, depending on what type of matrix it is. Obviously, that can get really confusing depending on which company you're with. Direct sales, I get the impression that it's basically you're selling your product and maybe you could be getting some commission from someone like one step below you, but there's not this multiple levels of compensation. So if I'm wrong, then maybe we can fill the audience in on the exact definition of direct sales, specific direct right. sales. I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, in, in direct sales, you might get some help from somebody to help sell the stuff, but I don't think they're going to get any percentage of your sales um, because, again, direct sales is where you're connected directly to the company. Um, now, you might have a friend or relative that says, hey, I'm in, in this direct selling company and it's great and, you know, why don't you join too um, and I'll help you learn how to sell the products. Um, but mm -hmm. there's no, there's nothing in the compensation plan that would pay them um, because it's only what you sell is what you profit from. Now, I do know also that Peter, you know, when he was with Electrolux, um, he would train the new vacuum salespeople and he would get a percentage of that. But again, he was training them. He was not out there, um, you know, trying to recruit a bunch of people. He was training them how to sell. And, and occasionally he would, you know, come across somebody who also wanted to be a distributor. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Peter. Um, yeah, hold, but his but focus hold on a was... David, David dropped yeah, off, so let me just... David dropped off. Okay. Let me reconnect him. All right. <clears throat> he dropped off I'm about... Back about a minute into your conversation. So I didn't want you to kind of lead up to something, Scott, and then um, David would not understand what you were referencing. Scott, I heard you talking about Electrolux. You were talking about when Peter was in Electrolux. Yeah, when he was in Electrolux, you know, he made money um, when he would take a new salesperson out in the field to sell a vacuum to a customer. Um, and the, the focus was on customers, not on you know, recruiting new distributors, and, and Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, um, and he did get some compensation for providing that training, but by and large, in direct sales, um, like, like you said, David, there's no multiple levels um, involved, uh, but there is some training compensation for helping a brand new person learn how to sell vacuums or, or whatever. Um, so that's that's the basic difference, um, and I think we, we're in agreement on that. Um, direct sales, most of the money is being made selling the products to customers, 
whereas MLM, most of the money that's being made is when you have a downline and they, and they buy products for their own use. Um, sometimes they overbuy. You know, that's what they call garage qualified. When, you know, when the products stack up, when you're buying way too much, more than you can, you, you know, practically use, um, that occurs quite a bit in MLMs. Um, whereas there's really no reason to do that for direct sales. Now, I'm sure that there are some people, and I think Peter's even mentioned this, sometimes you get towards the end of the month, you're right near a new breaking point, and you might go and, and buy another vacuum just because you know, you're, you're able to get to that next level. Um, but again, the next day, it's a new month, and your focus is back on selling that vacuum cleaner. So it, it, it's quite a bit different, even though there are some similarities in the incentives and so forth. Um, the MLM, it's, it's pretty much internal consumption. Direct sales, mm -hmm. it's pretty much selling to customers, and that's exactly. you know, the, exactly. the basic difference there. Yeah, so in, in, in if we stick to that, I think that Julie Anderson, I know for sure, I talked to Glenn. I said, Glenn, do you, it, would you be okay with nothing but direct sales? Yes. I bet you Marco, Julie Anderson, all of them would say, yeah, I'm totally okay with direct sales. I mean, Glenn even made the comment, hey, I hate when they come knocking at my door, but I don't think it should be illegal. You know, that you, should, you should have the opportunity to knock on my door if I don't have a no soliciting sign or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, so, and I think that's, that's just an important distinction. And the reason why I would then say I'm anti-MLM is I think that the moment that you incorporate a multi-level marketing structure to a company, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying, I think the system is rigged in a sense, but I think that humans are just naturally super greedy and they're going to take advantage of any situation they can get. And therefore, it's always going to get messed up. Someone's always going to take advantage not sell any products, you know, whether it's just recruit based on false promises, uh, convince everyone in your downline to just self-consume. And, you know, like, I think that's one thing that you mentioned. They were telling everyone, hey, just self-consume and, you know, don't worry about it. That's what, like, that's what everyone was doing when you were in it, Scott, if I remember from our last episode. So, exactly. Uh, one of the phrases that the upline said quite often was buy from yourself, in other words, from Amway, um, Mm -hmm. And you are kind of buying from yourself, right? Because you're getting a bonus. Even at the lowest level, you're getting somewhat of a bonus. So that's what buying from yourself means. Um, you don't go to Walmart or whatever and buy something and, and you know, automatically get a rebate. And that's the difference between being a distributor and the incentive of being a distributor and being a customer is, is that, mm -hmm. that uh, payback, if you will. Um, and, sure. and so it, it's, you know, it, it's fundamentally different. Um, but but where I come down is um, the the same commissioner. This is I think it's in the 2020. If you go to MLMConference.com website, the same commissioner uh, Phillips, who gave I think the opening speech of the first session, said that the FTC is not anti MLM. They're pro MLM. Um, but still there are issues with MLM, and, and my point is I think the FTC is correct, but the FTC is responsible for regulating these MLMs, and they're not doing it. They're, they're picking an individual MLM every once in a while, and they're doing, you know, the investigation. Normally it's pretty good. 
Most of them are not in yours. <laughs> that was a total flop. Um, but certainly in 2019, AgroCare was uh, convinced not to go to court, and they agreed to pay, I think it was $150 million um, in, in a penalty, which was you know, redirected back to the people that lost money. And they also agreed to drop the MLM model and go to direct sales. Now, I don't think that AgroCare is that much different than either all or almost all other MLMs. And so if mm-hmm. the FTC changed their thinking of instead of going after an individual MLM, they put out a policy saying, hey, you guys have to have just like um, Herbalife agreed to and just like Vima agreed to, you have to have at least as many sales to customers as you do internal consumption and make that an industry-wide rule and that that would be something that the FTC and others, um, and I even suggested how they could do this without having to do all the work themselves. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash Scott Tex Johnson, S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word. If you go to the very first story there and read it, it's about 28 pages. It's a bit of a read. But I suggested to the FTC what they could do is they could um, hire people like Tina.org or um, what is it, the DSSRC, and they wouldn't have to pay them. These people would do it, you know, voluntarily because that's kind of what their job is to begin with, um, and, and do some audits of MLMs and see if they have real retail sales. And if they don't, then they should notify the FTC and the FTC mm-hmm. should take action. Um, now, we've had, I think it's like 18 different companies. Um, the DSSRC has reported uh, to the FTC, and, and I don't think they've taken action on a single one of them. So what we see is inaction from the regulators. Um, and, and certainly Tina, uh, Tina.org or truthandadvertising.org, they reported numerous violations uh, of MLMs to the FTC, and maybe they've picked up a couple of them, but most of them they, they haven't touched. And so to me, the real problem is one of under-regulation, um, and, and the FTC needs to wake up um, and, and do mm-hmm. their job because they're not doing their job. Paid off, now. Right? And that's, I, I don't that's think the real problem, being, right? They're getting paid off. I don't think they're being paid off. I know, I know there's some people that think that, and I know there's a revolving door, um, but that's very few individuals, right? It's not like the entire FTC is a big revolving door. It's, it's a very small handful of people. Uh, most of them are at or very near the top of the uh, hierarchy. Um, I, I always follow the rule of, um, you know, don't, don't think something uh, is a scam if it can be explained by uh, or, or not, not so much a scam, a uh, uh, what's what's the right word here? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word in my mind, and that's a coup. It's not. Pardon me. I said a coup. No, that's not, not, so not a coup. It's, it's not a scam. It's, it's a, a conspiracy. That's the word I'm trying to think of. There we go. A lot of people think it's a conspiracy. I don't. I, I think it's incompetence, quite frankly. And in the Aura lawsuit, illustrated that. Now, did they write the you know, did the FTC pursue Neora to look incompetent, but there's really a conspiracy? 
I don't think so. It's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I, I just don't think that. I, I, I don't think what that's... What about Herbalife? Where, well, you know, Herbalife... We didn't find them to not be a pyramid scheme, so they, they didn't not confirm that they're a pyramid scheme. And then it turns out that, you know, Kamala Harris's husband works for the law firm that represents them. And, of course, shortly after, Kamala Harris is vice president. You know what I mean? I mean, so, and then uh, very, very often people from the FTC, once they are done with the FTC, they go on to have high-paying board positions at MLM companies. So, I think, yeah, me, that, what about the Herbalife? What about Herbalife? Because I think that's a really yeah, good me, example where. Yeah, let me, let me clarify uh, Herbalife and and Harris's husband, uh, he worked, worked for, and I think he still works for, a law firm who, prior to the Herbalife uh, FTC investigation, uh, his company did some work for Herbalife. I don't know how much he was involved personally, um, and who knows what goes on behind closed doors. Um, and, and, you know, to me, Kamala Harris is a total disaster as a person, right? She slept her way to the top. Um, she keeps bragging about, and this is when she was Attorney General of California. Uh, she kept bragging about how, you know, she's for the little, the little guy, you know, and, and all of this. And yet there was people protesting outside of her office um, in Sacramento, um, saying, "Hey, you need to do something about this." And she never did. And, and actually, the California Attorney General people in San Diego contacted her, and this is while she was Attorney General of, of California, uh, they contacted her and said, hey, we've got some really good leads down here. Uh, you know, we'd like to do an investigation of Herbalife, and all we need is, you know, a couple bodies, you know, some funding, and we're going we're gonna to continue this investigation. And uh, that never happened. It was never funded. Um, now, what was the, what was the uh, incentive to not do anything? I don't know. Um, now you could say, you know, she was pro Herbalife because her husband used to represent them in the past, but that's that's a pretty tenuous connection. Um, now I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying eh, I, I don't I don't see the smoking gun, right? It's one of those things where there are some indirect ties in there, and, and maybe it's true. I'm not saying it's untrue. I'm just saying I think it's unlikely. Um, sure. So, so what do you think keeps them from taking down a company like Amway? Is it because, you know, Betsy DeVos was, you know, uh, had, sorry, something of education with Trump, and obviously they have political ties and they donate financially to both political parties. Like, what do you think, because you fully agree that Amway is a scam. So what's keeping Amway afloat right now? Is Are they being protected or is it just because, like, is, is it FTC incompetence? What is it? When it comes to Amway, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think that the political influence is really overblown because most of that money that was given to the politicians was given years ago, and most mm -hmm. of the people that gave the money and received the money are either out of office or dead. And, and so I don't see the influence today from that money. Um, and I don't know, again, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But Betsy DeVos, uh, to me, was a total disaster. Um, if you just watch her Senate hearing, um, she comes off as a complete nincompoop. I mean, just a total, you know, dummy. Um, and, uh, and the thing is, you know, she does have Amway money, but she came from money. She didn't marry into money. You know, her dad was um, a guy by the name of Edgar Prince, um, 
and uh, he built up a very large empire um, supplying car parts to the various manufacturers. Um, so she had money before she came in and, and married the Amway guy. Um, and I don't know what a secretary of education has to do with influencing who goes after Amway. And she was only in there for four years. You know, what about all the other presidents over the past, let's say, 30 years? Democrat and Republican presidents, none of them went after Amway. Um, so I think there is some political influence. Um, I think maybe uh, the FTC essentially lost the lawsuit in 1979. Now, they did win a couple points. You know, people say that the FTC lost, um, but they really didn't totally lose. They, they they won on two points. I don't know how much you've read that lawsuit. Do you, do you know which points Amway, or, yeah, Amway lost on that? Talk about the Michigan case. I'm talking about the uh, 1979 FTC case against Amway. Yeah, uh, the only thing I know about that case is that uh, at one point they asked if, what the top 1% had made, and it was like negative $980, if I'm remembering correctly. Well, is that right? Well, that was the um, Wisconsin Attorney General investigation. Okay, then sorry, um, and I know nothing about this case. Sorry. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really the critical case in MLM. The, the Amway 1979 case is what sort of laid the groundwork for all MLMs going forward, uh, because previous to the Amway case, there was two or three other MLMs that were shut down. Uh, but Amway won the main point of not being an illegal pyramid, but they lost on a couple things. One was income claims. Um, in fact, they were fined, I can't remember exactly, a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think, a few years later um, because they kept making income claims, which absolutely continue to this day. Uh, <laughs> they also, um, Amway used to require, um, if you were a distributor selling price to a customer, you had to charge full retail price. Well, that's called price fixing, and that's illegal. So they lost on that point. Um, mm-hmm. Now, they did win on the illegal pyramid. Um, and and I, I think the FTC blew it big time because what happened, as far as I know, you know, I haven't seen all the exhibits and all the evidence, but, but what I've read is um, that Amway, in fact, it was uh, Jay Van Andel, said that we have a retail rule and we enforce it. And so if the FTC lawyers had said, show me the receipts, you know, the sales receipts, Amway could not have come up with them. Uh, now, I don't know what was going on in 1979. I, you know, I was uh, halfway through college, <laughs> so I don't know, you know how Amway operated back then, but I doubt that there's a lot of retail sales. I know they don't today, uh, and I doubt they had very many back then. But the real point is that the FTC did not insist on seeing the sales receipts. And so you know, the judge had to take into account the evidence that he heard um, and he didn't hear any challenge to that claim. And so he assumed um, by the evidence that was presented to him that that retail sales were being made. Um, And and again, it was just a failure of the FTC um, to challenge that claim. Um, But that's, you know, that's an important lawsuit as far as MLMs because that really set the stage for MLMs going forward. In fact, they, they call it the Amway rules, right? There was, there was three main, main points in the, uh, in the FTC against Amway lawsuit 
um, that the judge made a decision that Amway was not in the illegal pyramid. Number one was retail sales. Uh, number two was a good return policy. Um, and Peter, if you can help me with number three, I'm trying to remember it. Um, there was retail sales, return policy. 70% rule. Yes, and there was an inventory rule um, where you had to either use or sell 70% of the products you ordered in a given month. And if you didn't do that, you weren't supposed to order any more products. Well, that's never been policed. It's never been enforced. Um, so it's, it's kind of a nebulous rule. But those were the three things that Amway claimed, and uh, the FTC you know, never made them prove that they were being accurate, and so it was accepted as fact. Um, but those are the three rules that a lot of MLMs going forward say, hey, we follow the, the Amway rules, those three things. And so, you know, we're legitimate, just like Amway is legitimate, even though it was based on, you know, insufficient evidence. <laughs> um, yeah. So you would so anyway, say that you can't say for certain why they missed the mark in that case. No, I can't say for certain. They they were in the legal pyramid at that time. I believe they were. Again, I I wasn't around in 1979 to to know what their retail sales were. I'm pretty sure they didn't have them. Um, And the FTC blew it because they never challenged them as far as I know. So what's your best guess to why, like, they never did it? I, I think it's just like the New York case. I think they were incompetent. And also, another thing about the Amway case is the two previous cases, I'm trying to remember the names of them right now. Um, Peter, if you can help me with those company names. But there was two of them in in the mid-'70s. Dare to be great was one of them. Dare to be great, the one with Turner. Yep. Um, Anyway, there there was two cases. Um, And in both of those companies, uh, the, the scenario was that they were charging a whole lot of money just for people to sign up. Okay, we're talking like hundreds, even thousands of dollars, and we're talking 1970s here when you know, when a thousand dollars was a lot of money, um, and mm-hmm. and that was clearly something that was you know clearly an illegal pyramid. In fact, and I'm trying to remember the company name right now, and I, I'm coming up. Um, it, it was the one that was um, oh a uh, uh, Coscot Coscot it's K O S C O T um, if you read the Coscot decision it's online um, what happened with that MLM was for at least about a year I think it was either a little bit more or a little bit less than a year but about a year they didn't even have products. They were selling distributorships and no products at all, not even internal consumption. You know, forget about selling. It was internal consumption. And, and that is sort of the litmus test for the FTC um, is that, is that cost decision. Um, and, and, and to me, it's the most ridiculous case to, to sort of bet your position on because it was such a ridiculously just, extreme example of, of an illegal pyramid. Um, now, interestingly, in the New York case more recently, uh, this, this decision came out in September. Um, in, in, 
uh, what is it called? Um, not Region 5. What, what's the uh, district? The 5th District, I think, is what it is, um, which includes Texas, by the way, and the, and, the, and the case was in Texas. It was in Dallas. Um, they don't use the Coscott standard. Uh, that, that's never been used in that district before. So they used a different standard, which talks a little bit more about retail sales versus the ridiculous Coscott stuff, which basically is based on, you know, buying distributorships and not having, not only not sales, not even have a product. You, know, you can't have a sale. A, yeah, you can't. It's impossible. Uh, but, but that's what the FTC uses in most cases. Um, and it's just not a good example of what's going on, particularly today in the industry. Now, that's where Amway is different. Amway does not charge a lot of money to join. And so from that standpoint, you know, it was kind of like a curveball, I think, to the FTC. You know, the FTC was used to this, these other cases that were, you know, these extreme prices just to join. And one of them, the products weren't even available for a year. Um, in Amway, that's not the case. And so I think maybe the FTC just wasn't prepared to argue a different scenario. And, and again, mm-hmm. I, I would say I would classify as incompetence, but it was early in the game, right? It was not today it, it, with all the other cases that have occurred. So they were still, you know, relative rookies at this. And Amway threw them a little bit of a curveball because they weren't like the other two companies. And they were able to explain themselves out of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because the FTC did go after them. The FTC did claim they were an illegal pyramid. It's just that they were found not to be. Um, and, and, and it's sure. not that they weren't. It's that there wasn't enough evidence for the judge to say, yeah, that's an illegal pyramid as well. So I, I think there are fundamental differences between Amway in those earlier cases. Um, not that Amway is not an illegal pyramid. It's just that. They don't have the model of charging a huge amount of money just to join. Does that make sense? Well, now it can't be more than five hundred dollars. Is that right? So I mean, you know, nowadays there's rules on that. Well, it can't be more than five hundred without a full, uh, standard disclosure. Correct. The, the franchise. There's a loophole in the franchisee agreement laws where it can, if it's yeah, less than five hundred dollars, yeah. you don't have to disclose. Yeah, basically, um, if it's more than five hundred dollars, the FTC, the law, you know, the FTC law. considers it to be a franchise, and therefore there's more disclosures required. If it's less than 500, Mm -hmm. then those disclosures are not required. Um, And and so, and I know that when the business opportunity rule was being reviewed back in 2006 timeframe, you know, I I made some comments, um, but but, uh, the, the, the MLMs basically, in fact, I can tell you right now, on the Amway website, because I was still an IBO back then, um, I was not buying the tools and all that stuff. Um, but on the Amway website, there was a form letter for distributors to fill out. You know, you could add whatever you wanted. You know, any other personal information or you know your personal opinion of whatever. Um, but there was a form letter that you were encouraged to submit to the FTC, and there was, I think, somewhere in the order of 10,000 of these. That, that, you know, were flooding into the FTC. Um, now, I don't know how much that influenced the FTC, and I do know that this time around um, the FTC made a, a explicit point 
that the number of complaints is not what's going to affect them. Um, they're not going to look at the weight of 10,000 inputs that don't make any sense over, you know, a well thought out input that has a different point of view. Um, and, and so we didn't see that in the latest, um, I, I guess it was not the entire business opportunity rule. The FTC was just looking for input on product claims and income claims, which is a large part of the problem. Um, but uh, um, yeah, the FTC was very explicit um, a couple of years ago when they asked for input saying, Hey guys, it's not going to do you any good to flood us. <laughs> and, so, and I don't mm -hmm. think it had a lot of influence back in 2006 either um, because sure. it's easy to find a form letter. And I think you can still go on the FTC site now um, and look up those, you know, form letters that were sent in and you can see it's just, you know, thousands and thousands and a lot of them are from Amway. Now, you know, because you can see the Amway form letter all throughout those comments. Um, so, yeah, there's there's games being played. Um, but uh, but anyway, that, that's my view of, you know, what happened with Amway in 1979 with the FTC. It was just, it was just fundamentally different than the previous ones. And, and they just sure. weren't sure. in their game completely. And I guess with all these games and the deception and, you know, all these companies that do get found out as pyramid schemes or maybe they are illegal pyramids but they haven't been investigated yet, I think all that plays back into why I say, you know, fundamentally I am anti-MLM because I think it's too easy to start uh, having deception and to trick people, right? It's like that's why they don't charge more than $500 because they don't want someone, hey, just so you know, this uh, out of everyone who worked for us last year, the average person made this much money and they, that's not even telling them, Hey, and by the way, they actually spent more than that. So the average person in our company actually lost money last year. And it kind of goes back to like, if I was in a room full of a thousand high schoolers and I told them all, Hey, uh, just so you know, if you join an MLM company, there's this percentage chance that you're not, that you're going to fail and not make money. They wouldn't do it, which I think, uh, Glenn said that you're the, you're the one who said that, Scott. You know, it's whoever gets to the 18-year-old first. So, anyway, so all those things combined are why I think that we should just get rid of MLM and just do direct sales, which... And, and how, how, uh, do we, how, do we, how do we go about doing that, though? What's the practical steps um, to say... Because I, I, I would be in agreement with you if, um, if the FTC does not step forward and, and regulate the MLM industry properly then it should be shut down. But how do you get to that point? How do you, how do you have an sure. FTC commissioner who says the FTC supports MLMs and turn that around 180 and outlaw MLMs? Sure. I think, so, I think the best first step, sorry, go ahead, Peter. You haven't said much this episode. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to kind of just hijack a portion of this because we've had an opportunity to kind of hear both of you talk about different things. So let's come from my perspective for one second in the direct sales and the MLM. So having said that, everybody brings their own self to the conversation with their own previous experiences and personal opinions and maybe even some biases. So let me share with you how, and I'll give you the punchline in advance, people saying MLM is like a scam or people saying we should get rid of MLM. Um, we need to define MLM based on whatever you're referencing. So here's my gig. When I was in college and graduated, I knew that I was not going to be a doctor, 
because I didn't want to go through the things that people had to do to be a doctor, meaning go to four years of medical school, two years of undergrad work. I didn't know how to do it. It wasn't really in my cards. I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to make money, but I didn't want to necessarily work with sick people. I wasn't sure what would happen to me by doing that. So I wound up, Chance, taking a job with a company called Electrolux based on the interviewing skills of the person that interviewed me. So his name is Joe. So Joe interviewed me and put me in a management training program. And the management training program was to take over a store. Now, by the way, this, is, this conversation is good for Scott and good for you, David. It's not good for the anti-MLMers that might be listening in that are joking around or not paying attention. You know, you can shut your chat off, go jerk off, go do whatever the fuck you want because you're not going to be able to follow this anyway. You're going to make fun of everything that I'm saying. But if you want to have a serious conversation, see if you can follow me with my thought process on why I, can, I could never say MLM is a scam. And then by the time I'm done with this, you'll see when I say when MLM is done right, it's good. And when MLM is done wrong, it's bad. So it's the way it's done that might make it a scam. So here we go. In the management training program, it was to run one of their Electrolux offices. And I would be paid based on 50% of the profit from the office. Now, there's a reason why I'm kind of going through this, mostly for your sake, David. Because, you know, yeah, I know you've told me some of this story already, but it's not, it's good for the listeners to know too. So, good for the listeners. So, if you're going to get paid 50% of the profit of the store, you need to know the formula for profit. So, if you're listening in and paying attention, grab a piece of paper and write down the formula for profit. And if you want to pause this, you can. But, I didn't know the formula for profit. I was a biology major, chemistry major in school. I had a French minor. So Joe asked me, what's the formula for profit? I'm like, how the hell do I know, Joe? Business, cor- business courses are for faggots. <laughs> that, was my, like, that was my thing. Like, you've got to be a bio major, chem major, organic chemistry, you know, genetics, you know, freaking business. I mean, what the hell? Those are for fags. But I guess I should have taken a business course, Joe. So anyway, so it was sales minus expenses equals profits. So sales minus expenses. So since I was a chemistry major, I looked at that equation. I said, well, if I want to increase my profits, I want to increase my sales, decrease my expenses, or manage my expenses. So, and I'm getting to this point of the difference between direct sales and the difference between multi-level marketing, at least in many of people's minds that have my background. So what are your expenses if you're running a store? Your lights, your rent, your licenses, what else? You know, the donuts you buy for the sales force, what else? The salaries you pay for the inside staff, what else? The pens that you buy, the ink that you use for your toner. We can go over and over and over and over and over. What are one of the biggest expenses in your store? Cost of goods, meaning like how much those vacuums cost to manufacture and whatever the company is going to charge you for that. And the commissions that you pay to the people that generate those sales. So commissions are a big factor, whether it's 35% to 50% or more than that, I don't know 
based on whatever you're talking about, whatever kind of a thing you might be thinking about. But in the Electrolux business, our top sales reps were paid 35%. Assistant managers would make 5%. We had bonuses. So I'd say when you round up all the bonuses and everything else, it was pretty close to 50%. So if you take a look at that 50%, you'd say that would be the max, 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 maybe that the company paid out on every dollar that was sold, $1,000 product line, 50% of it was wrapped up in someone's commissions, whether it was the branch manager, the assistant manager, the guy that made the sale, the division manager, the area vice president, somebody else up the line, who knows what it was, but say 50% was the maximum. And when you had a new guy, you usually only paid him like 20%, so there was some breakage in there as well. So just focus on that concept of a large percent or a certain percent of that was paid in commissions. So that's direct sales. And by the way, for those people that think vacuums like Electrolux's were bought, they were not. Vacuums like Electrolux's were sold, meaning they just didn't sit there. We had no bakery line, people taking a number like a deli counter. We sold those. So for a lot of people that sell insurance, you understand what I'm talking about. Insurance isn't bought. Insurance is sold. Now, you might have to buy car insurance, but the reality is is that, you know, all the other kinds of insurance that are out there, many times there's a salesperson that had to be educated that had to go out there and knock on the doors and go out there and sell that product. But back to my vacuum cleaners. So multi-level marketing. Well, clear your brain for a second. If I were recruiting, because that's what I would be doing in my direct sales business, and I recruited Scott, well, I would want a certain percentage on what Scott sold. That gave me an incentive to train him the right way, maybe even help him out, you know, take him to lunch, meet his wife, work with him, keep his head together, keep him from quitting, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of work involved in being, let's call me an assistant manager working with Scott. Well, Scott says, I want to be an assistant manager like you, Peter, because I could see the benefit of that. You got five or ten guys on your team, you're picking up an extra couple of hundred or extra couple of thousand a week or a month or whatever the time frame might be, I want to aspire to that because that will help me become that branch manager. So Scott goes out there and he hires a guy named David. So David's still kind of close to me because I'm helping Scott. So should I get paid a certain portion of whatever David sells? Scott should. He's certainly asking for it. Company wouldn't have David if it wasn't for Peter working with Scott. I still think I deserve a portion of whatever you do because it's not like you guys just kind of show up and shit starts flying and sales start coming in by accident. No, there's work involved. I mean, real work, sometimes time-consuming work, you know, trade secrets, working with the guy, helping them close the sale, getting them started. Some of them make it. Most of them don't. you got to go through all that sort of stuff. Well, David says, hey, I want to become an assistant manager like you, Scott, and uh, can I recruit some people? And then I say, remember, I'm the guy who started this whole chain of events. Fuck you if you think this happened by itself. Fuck you. No fucking way did this happen on its own. So David goes out there and he recruits somebody who comes to some of our meetings, working with Scott, he's using our textbooks. So you get somebody, and now all of a sudden you have this multiple levels of compensation. 
that have to be generated to fairly make this whole thing work. If I didn't have the incentive to work with Scott, who's working with David, who's working with, let's call it Paul, then this stuff doesn't work. So when people say multi-level marketing is a scam, I'm like, I'll be polite. I understand where you're coming from because of your prejudice, your bias, your experiences. But if you follow the conversation I just had, I couldn't possibly ever say multi-level marketing is a scam. Multi-level marketing is the fairest way to build a direct sales force and compensate people multiple levels. Now, by the way, so if you're like a goon, and you're sitting there jerking yourself off or playing with your typewriter and chatting while you're doing this whole thing. You never got any point or any of the messages. But that's how people like me say, wait a minute, I don't know what you're describing. But if you listen to what I said, when multi-level marketing is done right, it's great. It's the best business model, period. When it's done wrong, it sucks. And, it, and, and it's justified in criticizing but to say multi-level marketing is a scam or multi-level marketing on its face is no good, we have to really come and look at the definition because your definition is different than mine. Now, I grew up in direct sales. You know, I went through that whole thing that we just said. I ran five different offices, then 35 different offices, then 96 different offices. So I hate to say it, I spent 12 years or almost 12 years of my adult life committing myself to that business model where I worked it every single day and got really good at it, was paid and promoted based on my performance. Um, the reason why I left is because of the company. And that's a different story. That was a management style. So for those people listening in, and, and the reason why I wanted to do this before we ran out of time is because I listen to people that say, I would, you know, shut down MLM, MLM is, scam, MLM is a scam. But we have to define what you're talking about. Are you talking about the way people are, like, you know, uh, uh, hurt with inventory? Are you, are you talking about the way people are deceived? Are you talking about the way people are misled, misguided, you know, mistrained, uh, all those types of things? That's the stuff that makes MLM bad. I agree with all that stuff. But – MLM by itself, based on my experiences, my definition, um, is you, you can't call it a scam. You can, you can call the, like I said, to be repetitious to people who do it wrong a scam. So having said that, um, David, I just wanted to kind of let our listening audience kind of listen to that little evolution in there. You need a way to be able to compensate people on multiple levels if you want really deep growth. And I think MLM is brilliant. Now, some companies, by their compensation design, make it you know more scammier than others, but that's the way they do their compensation plan. But by itself, MLM should stay in business. Now, that's the theory. Now, Roger Van Vlissingen would say, Peter, that's the theory, but in practice, it'll never be done right. So they should shut it down anyway. And I'd say, okay, I can see that point. You know, because uh, I've, I've said it once before, human beings, given enough time, can screw up everything, but MLMers do it better. The reality is, is that that is sometimes the case. MLMers left to their own devices 
you know, with the greed, the goofiness, and the gullibility factors, they can screw up just about anything that might be really good. But uh, I'll leave it like that. I'll let you guys comment on what I just mentioned. So back to you. Yeah, I just wanted to make a couple comments here, Peter. One is one is that um, I would come away with the conclusion that, that Electrolux, the direct selling company, is actually an MLM, the way you describe it, because you have multiple levels of people being paid. The fundamental difference, which well, we, we go did, over well, we did, towards the, just, you know, we, we did not. We, ju- we just had like a branch manager, system manager. It didn't go down all those other levels. Okay. So, so yeah. it, it, until, it did not. Until the later wow. years when it did have some MLM, but let's not get too and deep into that. And then they shut that MLM down. Then they shut the MLM down because the sales guys were abusing the multiple levels of compensation. They were taking right. the same sale, putting it down on the bottom, and basically the company was paying out 14% on top of the maximum compensation that we've seen before. So the company said, we can't do this. And then also the branch managers were saying, wait a minute, we're still being paid 50% of the profits and we're screwing ourselves on the commissions. We got to stop this. So that was stopped. So when it was direct sales only, uh, how many levels did it go down? As a branch manager and assistant manager, that was it. Okay, so, so yeah, the division, the division manager was uh, getting an override on all of the different branches, plus depending on the compensation plan. But let's focus on just the branch manager. There was the branch manager and an assistant manager, and that was it. And, and, and of course, the salespeople. So it's three levels, yes. right? Okay, yep. so, so I still consider that an MLM because it's multiple levels. It's not like Amway where it goes down many, many, many levels, um, or, or most MLMs that go down, you know, many, many levels. But it, to me, it's still an MLM. But the fundamental difference is that you guys were selling to customers. You weren't selling new vacuums to new vacuum distributors. Uh, now, I'm right. sure the distributors bought the vacuum because, you know, that's just something that comes naturally um, when you're representing a product, it's probably a good idea to have it. But but most of the vacuums were being purchased by customers. Is that correct? Correct. So that's the fundamental difference. And and the other thing about that is is the fact that a vacuum is a pretty big purchase. You know, if you're going to buy, I don't know, cosmetics, um, that's not a big purchase. Um, and, And so it's much easier in a cosmetic MLM to just recruit new salespeople if with internal consumption. It's really hard to find, um, you know, a vacuum cleaner salesperson, um, and, and then that's the only way you expand your business because, it, you know, most people don't want to buy a new vacuum. You have to go talk to many, many people just to find one customer, um, let alone a distributor. So it's, it's one of those things. And that's why I think some of the, um, you know, insurance MLMs, probably have pretty good uh, retail sales. In fact, I've seen a couple shows where, you know, guys from different uh, insurance MLMs come on and say, yeah, I had $100,000 worth of, of sales to customers, not downline, um, you know, on, a, on an annual basis. Now, I don't know if that's typical, but if it is, then I, I would consider insurance companies to be very much like Electrolux, a, a legitimate MLM. Um, but I think most MLMs are not. So that's just my two cents, David. I'll let you add to whatever you want to do. Yeah, so I think there's another aspect to look at here. Peter, you said that the the base guy, the bottom-level guy, would make at least 20% 
but if they were a seasoned salesperson without anyone underneath them, they would make 35% at Electrolux. Is that right? That's yeah, exactly. I mean, for the most of the time, I was so there, show yeah. me, yeah. So show me an MLM where I can go in without any recruits underneath me and make 35% commission on a product that also is very valuable. I mean, I don't know how much you guys are selling the vacuums for, but I mean, Scott, you make a good point too. Someone might go into, uh, like, let's look at Monet with uh, uh, Julia Anderson. I think that she, I can't remember the percent. We're talking about single-digit percentages of commissions on $30 sales, right? So I mean. I think I think anyone who has any sales abilities whatsoever would be quick to jump on a sales opportunity where they could sell a one thousand dollar vacuum and make three hundred and fifty bucks. But when it's sell shampoo for fifty dollars a pop maybe and make six percent or Amway's three percent without any recruits underneath you, I mean that's and I think that was a key aspect that you talked about, Peter. I don't think I think that there is a reality where MLM could work, but it's too top heavy. Like when the bottom guy makes 3% without any recruits, that's insane. You're never going to succeed making 3% well, commission selling food. Yeah, let me, let me comment on that 3% because that's, that's a bit of a misnomer, at least in theory. In practice, it's true, and I'll, I'll speak to Amway here because Amway has a 3%. You know, that's the bottom level. And, of course, it is the bottom level, right? You know, it's like someone that says, oh, I have to work in a minimum wage job my entire life, but let's set that aside for a second. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, theoretically, there's a approximately 30% markup on the products in Amway. And so if you actually sold a, an Amway product at full price, you would make the 3% based on the volume, and then you would also make you know, another 30% on the retail markup. Now, the reality is that Amway products are overpriced even at the IBO price. You know, forget about the retail sales price 30% greater. Even at IBO price, it's overpriced. So it, it's almost impossible um, for someone to sell a product even at IBO price. And, and so forget about the 30% greater um, it's just impossible um, but that is the theoretical um, income of somebody selling an Amway product uh, if they could sell it at full retail price in other words Amway has to drastically reduce the product prices in order to have any expectation that the distributors can sell them at full retail price or actually anything more than their own IBO price for that matter. Uh -huh. uh, so it's, uh -huh. it, it is, it, it's a ridiculous setup. Um, but, but that is, you know, theoretically again, <laughs> um, yeah. it, it's, it's not just 3%. And, and also so as you build that volume, right. it goes to six, nine, 12, you know, you, you don't stay at 3% your entire Amway career. As soon as you start producing volume, you start to get into higher levels of uh, compensation. So, um, but that's mm -hmm. that. My point that's Scott, that mentality that of I'm always going to be a minimum wage person, you know, that, and that's just, I, don't, I think it's an unhealthy outlook. Sure. Sure. My point is, is that with the example of Electrolux, you can, you, you come in, let's say like, like Peter said at 20%, whereas with Amway, you come in at 3%. So in my opinion, that's not MLM done right. I mean, that's, we're, we're talking, okay, let's say the minimum wage is $15. We're talking about someone starting at Electrolux at a theoretical $15 an hour and work for Amway and making uh, nearly a sixth that amount. So let's just call it $3. It's a fifth. I mean, that's pathetic. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah, I would just argue that's MLM not done right. 
Well, Amway's compensation plan is archaic and one of the first ones. Um, I'd yeah. say most newer MLM, newer meaning within the last 10, 20 years, uh, MLM companies where the if, if somebody's going to be retailing the product, they can make anywhere from 20 to 40% commissions. So that's the typical thing in most MLMs today. Amway is that mm-hmm. stair-step breakaway thing, and that stair-step breakaway was totally screwing the, the brand-new distributor from the very beginning. So mm-hmm. Amway is not typical as far as the compensation plan. I don't think Amway so, can change so the I compensation hear, I, plan, but the typical MLMer is going to be anywhere from 20 to 40%, I believe. Sure. And I know that people have asked you this question a million times, and it is what it is. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you tell me an MLM that you think is, that you think is a good opportunity, and you know that I work back. I literally sell stuff to people in their homes. I mean, it's, it's so close to direct sales. The only difference is that, you know, they knew, I was, they knew I was coming, right? But they didn't necessarily know that I was going to sell them this product. So I'm already – I have the experience. I'm already there. What company should I join to utilize my, my skills right now? Oh, you know what? I won't Selling even product. mention a company. Not I won't insurance. even mention a company. I won't even mention a company product. I won't even mention a company here because of the backlash they would get from the dickheads that are listening. So okay. I hate I would, to say I would, I would direct you towards an insurance MLM. That's what I would say. Go to one of the insurance MLMs and check them out. I'd say you can if you're cool. gonna just if you're gonna sell a product, you can find a whole bunch of companies out there that have very good products that are really good. I'll, I'm gonna mention I'm gonna mention a company without mentioning the company name. Um, I have a friend of mine. So you know, a lot of people like me. They have a lot of people that they know in the industry, and they say, Hey, listen, I want you to try a product. Um, we're putting it out on the market, and I want you to give it a whirl. So if I sent you some copies or if I sent you some of this product, would you take it? So I, I'm not going to mention the company name, but the reality is, is, okay, I'll take the product. And then I went on one of their – and I got – oh, by the way, so I, th- this means nothing for most people, but the packaging has very small print, and it's they have a product you take in the morning and a product you take in the evening. And um, I took the product in the morning, and I took it in the evening. He must have sent me maybe two weeks' supply. And, you know, and and by the way, I can't read the instructions because they're in small print and I have glaucoma, which means it's really hard for me to read. So I don't read. So I just said, well, one says morning, one says evening. doesn't matter what. I don't want to read this stuff anyway. I just take the product. That's what he asked me to do. Well, here's what I found. I found that my... um, uh, soreness in the morning because I'm older and I have arthritis and all this other stuff seemed to go away. Energy level went up, and I was looking at the scale, and I don't think I'm overweight. I'm six one, and I started off at two o five, but I'm looking at the scale and it's going down, and I'm like, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm not changing anything that I'm doing. It went down to 205, 204, 203. Now it's 194. Either I'm really sick, so if it keeps going down, I'm seeing a doctor, or I'm dropping weight that I am not asking to drop. All I do know is that I feel better, I have more energy, and I seem to be losing weight. Now, 
there's a lot of people that I know that would like to feel better, have more energy, and lose weight. And I will mention this product to that company. I'm not going to build it as a distributor because I can't. I'm too busy doing some other things. You know, I may refer some people in there as well. But the bottom line is that company, if I knew that if I mentioned that company's name, they wouldn't get a backlash from the dickheads that listen to our radio show, I would easily mention that company name. And two weeks from now, if I'm still losing weight, <laughs> there's something wrong with me because I can't, I don't want to go, I'm, I don't want to go any further down than that. So the reality is, is that there's really good companies out there. And if you gave that product to most people, they would probably reorder it. And would they be caring about the MLM side? Now they probably, maybe they want to get a better deal. Maybe, you know, so as a distributor, maybe they get a better deal. Maybe they want to refer to some other people as well. And you could build a huge organization off of people just kind of like using the product and trying the product. And that's MLM done right. So mm -hmm. I, I won't answer your question. And there's only one reason why. And there's only one reason why. It's not because I wouldn't want our Building Forces radio listening audience to feel better, lose weight, and have more energy. It's because the dickheads that listen in would start attacking that company, and that company doesn't deserve the negative attention from the assholes that would try to destroy a business doing the right thing. So that's nothing to say about you, David, but everything to say about the horrible nature of the stupid people that might even be listening to our radio show. So back to you. Sure. 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 I mean – so, I mean, if we're talking about a company where the compensation plan allows someone in the very bottom rung who hasn't recruited a single soul to make good money, then I then I would say that that's not a pyramid scheme. But I think the main issue is that if, if you have an uh, MLM company where by the time you get to the end of the compensation plan, the guy who's eight levels up is making a majority of the cash. I mean, that that's I mean, the pyramid structure starts to build itself, right? Yeah, so, and you know, I would I say, mean, you know, list, list me 10 companies where that's the case today. So list me 10 companies that that is the case today. And I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking anybody else to do it. The reality is, is that you'd be hard-pressed to find 10 real examples where that is really the case. So I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think that's a myth that's brought up by people that are interested in trying to destroy an industry. So, mm -hmm. you know, the Marcos of the world, the Robert Fitzpatrick's of the world, the Bill Keeps. Show me 10 companies that have a compensation plan that sure. work like that. So what and do you I guys think? I, so I, I know that okay. – go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask – I was going to kind of shift a little bit but kind of stay on that because I, mean, I know that Julie Anderson came on the show with Glenn. You guys apparently had a good conversation, but then later you said that you thought she was crazy or something of that nature, which I don't know if that necessarily means you didn't like her. It just means that you said that you thought she was crazy, but – um, well, I know plenty of people that are crazy that I really like. But, but oh, said, before she was on the show, said. yeah, let me just back you up to the history. Before she was on the show, uh, Glenn asked me what my impression of her is. And I said, oh, I think she's a nutcase. And he says, well, why do you think that? I said, well, you just watch her videos, all right? She's got crazy eyes. She shoots double birds. Um, she's always saying the F word. Uh you know, she's snarling, her eyes are rolling in the back of her head, um, and, and she makes no sense. And I call that a nutcase. Um, then we had her on show, and, and after she had to leave early because she had a commitment, 
um, you know, Glenn asked me again, do you still think she's a nutcase? And I said, yes. And he says, well, why? I said, well, nothing's really changed, Glenn, because we spent most of the show of her asking me questions and me answering questions. So how would that impact whether I think she's a nutcase or not? You know, she hasn't performed anything different. All she did was ask me some questions. And, and so yeah. that's some history as far as, and in both cases, I was asked what I thought of her, and I was being honest, sure. and I still think she's in that case. Um, I, I think and, when she made her FTC two-minute blurb, she got it all wrong. Oh I mean, she came, yeah. so she could, came across as more level-headed. Yeah. Yeah. If I could just jump in. The, the idea of even this conversation about Julie Anderson, you calling her a nutcase, after the, after the radio show that she was on, just is a perfect example of people that talk stuff or trash without knowing anything. Because if anybody, would have, if anybody would have been on the interview that she was on with our radio show, you would have said, well, we didn't really learn a lot about Julie Anderson. Julie Anderson took the time to interview Scott Johnson. So anybody that listened to the radio show would realize it was really a Scott Johnson interview. It wasn't us talking to Julie. So if she started as a nutcase and she ended as a nutcase and people say, well, you had her on the show and you were so nice to her, there's nothing wrong with being nice to somebody who's asking you questions. And Scott was very uh, nice to her. He was polite to her. He was given specific answers to the specific questions that she asked. And, and it, that was it. It was a Scott Johnson interview. Um, so then they criticize him for calling her a nutcase after having her on the radio show. He would have been inconsistent. He would have been flip-flopping if he would have changed his mind. He never had a chance to change sure. his mind. She asked him all the questions. Sure. So that just shows yeah. you how got 13 minutes. People... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's... Okay, good. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, I, I agree that that would be a false assessment. But uh, the, the key point is that you had mentioned – I mentioned Julie Anderson, one, because I think that Julie Anderson – you know, you guys. I understand that you guys would classify her as an anti-MLM hun, but to me, it doesn't matter that she's a woman. I mean, it doesn't make a, a, a big deal. I know that one of the criticisms that someone like Marco would get, for example, or even someone like me, right? Like, I mean, Peter, I'm sure you would sit here and say, "Well, David, you've never been in an MLM, so what? The, like, what does it matter? Like, you don't have an inside view, so it doesn't matter." Well, that's exactly the case for Marco. Marco's never been in an MLM, so that's something that that people who are pro MLM use against him, right? Whereas Julie Anderson, on the other hand was in an MLM, made it to the top 0.68% of that MLM, so close to that 99.7%. Her best year, she claimed she made $13,000. And now that she's not in Monet anymore, not to mention also she was in Rank Makers, which Rank Makers was a huge collection of a bunch of different MLMs all at the same time. And now that she's anti-MLM, she, she literally spends all of her videos researching different MLMs that are currently operating today. So from my perspective, I would say that someone like her – you know, whatever qualms you have with her about her being crazy or saying the F word too much or whatever, I think that she's one of the most educated anti-MLM people simply because of her, her access and exposure to the industry. Now, well, whether you, you take disagree a look at with, rank, her, with yeah, her take. But, you gotta, but think about who Rank Makers is. Who is Rank Makers? It's that dude who – I think that Rank Makers isn't an MLM. Ray, it's Ray Higdon's thing. So if you say Ray Higdon – there's your credibility. I mean, like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? You know, th then you're going to bring up Eric Worre next, you know. So you got Ray Higdon, and he's got his <laughs> rank maker thing, which is a whole bunch yeah, of people yeah. that are just, you know, just confused. And then you say, and she was the top in whatever company she was in. 
And if that company was doing everything wrong, she could still be misguided. Now, I'm going to say something. She seems nice. She seems as she has good intentions. I found some of the things that she mentioned when, when Scott said she was going to be here. I listened to her and I said, this chick's got some, <laughs> this, this chick's goofy. I mean, she's, she's kind of crazy. I so, think she has some trauma. Nutty. I think she has trauma. Yeah. She did. She did. So there's nothing. When I say that, that's just who she is. Okay. So she's had some trauma. Mm-hmm. She's, she's kind of goofy. She's kind of nutty. She's kind of, she is what she is. Let's just take her and accept her for who she is. That's fine. She's not an expert. That's one thing we have to clearly undefine. We have to underline and define. She's not. But what would keep her from being so? She's, she's researched so many different MLMs and she was just recently in one and made it to such a high level. Like, I can't see what's keeping her from being an expert. If I, if I had had a chance to ask her questions, and I let guests do, you know, guide the conversation, so I have no problem answering yes. questions. But if I had mm-hmm. had time to ask her questions, I would have said, Julie, how many retail sales did you personally have in all of your downline? How many retail sales did they personally have? And I think she would have said pretty close to zero. Well, that puts her in an illegal pyramid. And if she doesn't realize that that's the most fundamental problem in an MLM scam, then she's lost. She's, she's sure. just lost. But she does realize that. I think if you were to ask her, she would say, yes, Monet was an illegal pyramid. We didn't have enough retail sales. But then, of course, I think the point that you guys might disagree with, she, I mean, I just was watching a video from her recently. She's currently covering the Transact card. I don't know if you guys know about the Transact card. But it's, sure do. it's sure. insane. It's insane. It's an MLM where you have to pay to get this credit card and you pay monthly and all so you can get hopefully get enough points to make up for it. It's just – anyway, it's, to me, you'd have to be a fool to fall for the – that's a different story. She, she, I mean, she would say that you know, it, MLM is failure by design, like 99.7 fail. Like that's how it works because that's, the, that's what a pyramid scheme is. You have to have that failure rate. Like someone who comes in, like most people don't have a chance. There's no chance that you're ever going to make money. Whereas I think that you guys would say that's probably not true. But outside of that, she's that's. I mean, she would say that Monate was uh, recruitment focused, and you know, she even talks about how she would prospect 200 people every single day, have the live video, and I think she has. I mean, her YouTube channel doesn't have a bunch of subscribers, but she is pretty successful on TikTok. I mean, she has a quite a few followers on TikTok, and her videos do get lots of views on TikTok. So. I mean, she knows how to do social media, and anyway, I guess like it just find it and maybe. I okay, just, so she's I, but, she's trying. So she's she's trying to right the wrongs that she did when she was a distributor, and she's trying mm-hmm. to right the wrongs of an industry. So I'll give her kudos for trying, and then we have to refine what she's doing because some of the things she does, she's repeating. Endless chain Ponzi-nomics. That's what the yeah. that's where she thinks Robert Fitzpatrick is a god. She was gushing <laughs> over Robert Fitzpatrick and Ponzi-nomics and endless chain and and regurgitating with Robert. Oh yeah, I watched the whole thing. Okay, I watched the whole okay, thing. gotcha. She was yeah. I mean, she was excited. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say Julie Anderson seems like a very nice person 
who's kind of goofy, and she did a lot of bad things. And if we kind of played back all the things that she probably did when she was trying to grant, you know, do whatever she was doing with rank makers, which is just hysterical, and then whatever her company was, I mean, like, oh, my God, are you sending apology notes to these people, Julie? Are you sending them back their money? Like, literally, if you really cared, are you, are you personally, like, washing the feet of all the people that you totally destroyed and lied to? Like, are you? how come you're not doing that? I'm not really sure. If you're really that nice why aren't you trying to make some kind of retribution for all the people you fucked using your own fucking techniques that you did and you're not identifying that like every the first five minutes of your next youtube channel should be like i screwed so many different people using these techniques i feel so bad like that should be your approach but it's not so she's just Mm -hmm. confused she's following the wrong people and you know the world is full of people that are confused and doing the wrong things and she's just one of them you know she'll wake up she'll get a little bit more educated maybe or not you agree with you you would say that you agree with even it sounds like you agree with most of her points just some that you think she's misguided yeah you shouldn't be yeah you shouldn't be screwing people you shouldn't be lying to people you shouldn't be regurgitating what your upline says just because your upline says it like if you knew it was bad why did you do it it's a personality but she didn't that's the point she she got like cold manipulated she she was completely manipulated at the time. I, I think um, at that time she didn't realize it was wrong. That, that's the point. Yeah, is you exactly, don't realize it exactly. until afterwards. Um, but what, David, what do you think about the Robert Fitzpatrick and the saturation and the five by five by five? Yeah, I mean, I I, I believe it. I think that 99.7% of people lose money, and I think that's why. So. No, that's 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 not that's not the five that's, by five. That's, that's, that's not, not the five by five by five. No, but that's that's so so the five by five. If you look at it right, so if you if you do the levels, I think by the time you get to five levels, the bottom layer of recruitment always has uh, close to an eighty percent loss rate. There's all sorry, eighty percent of the total volume of people in an MLM, if if it was a true five by five, would always be the bottom layer. Which let's I know you're saying it's archaic. Let's go back to Amway. Okay. That means 80% of the people can't make more than that 3% commission, right? And then once no. you get to, I believe, five no, we're layers, saying, uh, we're saying it would only be the top. Point, we're saying at that finish, point in time, there's a lot of people at the bottom. We're not saying that that's yeah. how it is forever. Sure. Well, and well, <laughs> there always has to be the most people at the bottom. That's how it works. But um, obviously, the, 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 and I know that because, Peter, I know what you're going to do. You're going to be like, well, it never works that way. It never, ever works that way. And that's true, right? You never, I mean, you never – I'm not going to get five people who actually get five people, right? That never happens, ever. But I think what Marco then and Robert Fitzpatrick would respond with saying, but that's the best-case scenario. If you don't have five people who get five people, then even more people are losers because there's more people stuck at the bottom. So that's why – so if you go five levels on a perfect five-by-five, five, it would only be the top, I believe, uh, 4.1% who make money. Okay, well, but then if, keep, it's, so if it's an imperfect five by five, then that's why you can start to reach those 99.7. Keep in mind that most non-MLM businesses lose money for some period of time. It might be months, it might be years. So yeah, even yeah, if it's yeah. a non-MLM so business, you're going to lose money. And I always ask the person, okay, you have a lot of people at the bottom, but how much are they producing? Almost zero sure. because they're at the bottom. If they, Let if me they give you a quick come off the bottom, then they they get compensated more. You know, this whole comparing uh, MLM to $15 per hour is garbage because you're comparing an hourly wage to a commission, and they're two 
totally so, different. And things. earlier when I made that example, I didn't actually I, I didn't actually think that was legit. Just so you know, I was just using it as a reference as far as dollar amounts. I don't actually think that it's comparable to $15 an hour job. So, but let me say this because you know my parents own a small business, right? They own a gluten-free bakery that they started 18 years ago, right before the Great Recession, right? And it used to be a restaurant. The so restaurants have the highest volatility in and of in and of themselves. They're first-time business owners who got screwed over by every single person that they worked with, right? And then the Great Recession hit, and they were inside a specialty business inside a poor location. Every single reason says they were going to lose, and they did lose money. They lost money for a long time. They eventually now they're making really good money. They're they're upper middle class citizens now because they made the sacrifices and now they're making cash. But to say that uh, someone, a lot of small businesses lose money, yeah, sure. And but the point is that that I think an MLM, someone like Robert Fitzpatrick or Julie Anderson or Marco would say that the system is rigged so that they are going to lose money no matter what. And I think that that is true if the case is that the bottom doesn't get compensated correctly, which in most I can't I I, I struggle to find companies that are compensating the bottom level correctly. Let's just say that. And I know we're out of time. So. Well, well the way to get just, compensated you know, correctly in an MLM is to get out of the bottom. Yeah, hold on one second, Scott. Um, for us, we're on the phone, which means even though the radio show would be over, it's still connected. So as long as you don't drop okay. off your phone, we're okay. So we can go a little bit over. Okay, we don't cool. have to worry about that. For anybody that might be That's listening good. in online, they'll get dropped off. Most of our people listen to us on Building Fortunes Radio when we do the replays, so don't worry about the time factor. Although we should probably wrap cool, it cool. up sometimes, but we're, we're okay. So we're not going to. As long as well, as long as your phone doesn't fall, if your phone falls off, then you're done because <laughs> you can't call it back in. Yeah, and I okay. I moved to a better part of my house, so hopefully that doesn't happen. Okay, good. I just want to I just want to mention that. So Scott, go ahead, finish your thoughts, please. Scott. Scott. Scott, Scott, Scott. I'm, I'm sorry, I was on mute. I, my, my point is if you're at the bottom of an MLM, you're a new person, then you should be making retail sales, which means you're going to start making money, and you should recruit new people who are also making retail sales, and then you will make more money. And, and so it's not the fact that a lot of people are at the bottom. The, the main problem is there's hardly any retail sales, so it's hard to make yeah. money. Uh, and that's the fundamental problem that the FTC is not enforcing. And if they would do that, I think almost every single MLM would do one of two things, either go out of business or go into mm -hmm. direct sales like AdvoCare did, um, and, and yeah. that would fix the problem. And everything else to me is just a distraction. It's, it's off the topic, and it, it just is not an important element to the discussion. It's all retail sales. That's that's the Agreed. main thing, and and for those MLMs that have tool scams, because Amway, the tool scam issue is actually bigger than the lack of retail sales issue. Um, so I'm talking generically here as far as retail sales. So yeah, go right ahead, David. Yeah, so I mean, I I agree with you. It, I, it, it, you have to have retail sales. That's number one. That's a guarantee, right? But I mean, if we just go right back to what you're talking about, point number two is uh, that. It, the bottom is heavy. So let's say that so you let's say you are making retail sales and you're doing really good. You have the at least 50% of all the products that you get is being sold to actual customers, not internal consumption. But and let's say I recruit three people, right? So let, let's let's go with uh, Glenn. Glenn's dad. He's recruited 25 people, I believe, in his 23-year career. But 
if if none of those 25 people ever recruited someone of their own, they would all be bottom level. So now there's 25 people below Glenn's dad. So that means that the bottom level always has more people. So that's the problem too, Scott, is that in an MLM, if the bottom is not compensated correctly, the majority of people in the company will not make enough money, even if they have good retail sales. But then it's a both and. They don't have good retail sales. Therefore, they're royally screwed over because you're not making any money and you're in a position where even if you did try to make a couple bucks, your commission's so bad that you're not going to make money. Well, most, most large companies, but most large companies, I'm talking non-MLM companies here, most large companies, most of the people are at the bottom there too. It, it's not any different as far as the pyramid structure of an MLM versus a big corporation. Um, to me, yeah. that's immaterial. Um, and, and comparing, you know, the minimum wage people at the bottom of a non-MLM company to an MLM, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges because you're, you're saying yeah. hourly wage versus commissions, and, and you just yeah, can't, but then, but then, you can't make that But then comparison. the other difference, Scott, is that I did not have to recruit five people to become a lead HVAC technician, right? I just did, so I just did my job well, and I got the raise. So, so it's different. And, uh, different doesn't make it wrong. Mm-hmm. What, what my point is is that it's, it's, it's still apples and oranges to try to use a – compare it to a corporate company because people – People don't get people don't get moved up in a company simply because they recruit people. Uh, I would I would argue that your true definition of a of a healthy MLM would be a better example. You know, if I worked for a sales company, I probably am going to become the sales team lead or the sales manager or the district sales manager because I had such good sales. Right? Like so, another good example. I worked for an HVAC company. There's a company we work with called Dynamic. Right? Dynamic sells indoor air quality products. I would actually argue that they're a direct sales company because they sell directly to HVAC companies. They don't advertise. They come to us to sell the product, right? And the head guy, the regional sales manager who comes by our office once a year to talk to us and let us know about new products and quote-unquote get us to buy more shit, right? He got that job because he's a really good salesman, right? Like he he was actually capable of selling the product to like 80% of homes that he went into for, for a cleaning service. He was able to sell 80% of people on this product. So no doubt he became a regional sales manager. And my point would be that those indoor air quality devices are mostly being sold to customers, not to other distributors or HVAC employees. They're being sold to people who are not being compensated for buying that device. And, and, and again, that's the fundamental difference. Agreed. Agreed. So if you can't get sales because you're overpriced, then you should be out of business, bottom line. Straight up. So anyway, so would you? Well, sorry. So just to recap, which I wanted to ask, so you guys would allow Julie back on the show? There's nothing. You guys have nothing against Julie. You'd let her back on. Yeah, everybody, everybody in the world, including Vince, is welcome on this show except for Marco. He is not welcome. Gotcha. Cool. Well, we didn't cover hardly as much as I wanted to cover. I really wanted to get back into. Uh, uh, I am Academy and Primerica, which I don't know. Marco was really upset that I even mentioned either of those companies. So uh, even I'm, I guess well, I'm not even necessarily on good terms with him because he was really upset that I even had the audacity to mention the companies, given he's in a lawsuit with him. So, but yeah, Mar- is Marco is kind of an idiot, so that's the way he rolls. Um, I mean, you're welcome to come on the show again if you want to discuss those things. Sure, sure. Because yeah, I mean, the main reason why I wanted, what I, why I would want to bring those up, is that because. 
uh, I guess primarily, Scott, you're saying that maybe you, the bid's still up when it comes to insurance uh, MLMs, which I think there's a good conversation to be had there too. I mean, I know like WFG, the bottom level guy, makes 25% commission on an insurance plan. Whereas, I mean, I know there's a, the town I live in, there's a ton of people who sell insurance and even people who are brand new to it are still going to make like 90% commission as a brand new insurance salesman. So, um, whereas uh, insurance MLMs may have re, uh, a lot more retail sales in comparison to a product-based MLM, the argument would still then be, okay, well, if you're good at selling insurance for Primerica or WFG, why on earth would you do it with them when you could make 90% or 100% with someone else? So, unless they're somehow bringing you leads that you wouldn't get otherwise. Um, but from what I can see, that that's not the case either. But anyway, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, think maybe... I think there's other insurance MLMs that pay more than 25%. Um, and so each I just, MLM is different. I was just saying different. WFG. Yeah. There's another yeah. one. There's another one that actually claims that once you get to a certain point, you can actually make over 100% commission. I can't remember the name. Family First Life. Family First Life. Um, yeah, I think they start higher too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then the gripe with Family First Life that most people say is that the big, the big thing with Family First Life is that they sell you leads, and uh, there's a bunch of people online who claim that the leads are like people like they've literally been called hundreds of times. Like these are recycled dead leads that they're constantly charging you for that basically aren't worth anything. But anyway, I don't know enough about Family First Life to really comment. But well, we, <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting about- conversation nonetheless. We can talk about the lead generation as a scam um, or as a predatory practice relative to those things on the next time you come in, because I'm familiar with some of the ways sure, those sure. work. Well, anyway, so Scott Johnson, why don't you um, share your website so people know how to find the stuff that you do? Okay. Yeah. Again, uh, I mentioned it earlier. It's facebook.com slash Johnson S-C-O-T-T. T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word. I've got three website links there. I've got the link to my YouTube. I've got uh, my email, uh, the link to this radio show. Um, so it's all there. All you have to do is go to that Facebook uh, page. And, and, David, is there anything you would like to promote? Because we like to ask people who are guests, if you have anything you'd like to promote, go right ahead. Sadly, don't have any uh, pages that would be worth interest. But uh, I did just want to say that I really do appreciate you guys having me on the show again. And uh uh, just thought it was a good conversation, and maybe we can have another one later. So. Sounds good. Yeah, Perfect. we'll have you on well, again yep. to talk about those other things. Yep. Sounds and good. I know we're getting close to yeah. I know we're getting close to the holidays, so there's some people that might uh, miss some of the radio shows. Happy holidays for those people listening in. We'll be here. We're lucky that the holidays fall on different days than they've done on previous years, so we have no interruptions. So we're here every Saturday at 8:30 p.m. Eastern Time um, with Scott Johnson and David. Thanks for being here. We'll catch everybody next time. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.